going to have the opportunity to be able to learn this and sing this ourselves. There's certainly some great hymns. We have we have over 600 and something just in our hymn book, and there there's multiple hymns that are out there. And uh, I encourage you to, if if you do family devotions in your home, which I encourage you to do, uh, you should have a hymn book as well. Pick a good hymn book or a psalter. Uh, there are great hymns of the faith that have been written that are. A reminder to us of what the Lord has done. But last week we read number three, and this week I want to read again the words to the first verse, Day of Judgment, as this is what we will be talking about today from Revelation chapter 9. Day of Judgment, Day of Wonders, hear the trumpet's awful sound, louder than ten thousand thunders shakes the vast creation round. How the summons, how the summons, will the sinner's heart confound. What an awful day this will be when the judgment of God is finally poured out upon this world. And it will be too late for those who have never come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I would like you to stand with me as we go to Revelation chapter 9, if you're able to stand with us this morning, Revelation chapter 9. And we will be picking up from verse 13. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice ten thousand times ten thousand. I heard their number, and this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur, and the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire, the smoke, and the sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, For their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. The rest of mankind who were not killed by those plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. May the Lord add his richest blessings to the reading of his word this morning. You may be seated. Father, this morning as we continue to present your word from the book of Revelation, this book which is the revelation of Jesus Christ, I pray that every heart and hearer who is here today, that they have come for the express purpose of bringing glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ, to come together for the purposes of worshiping you in spirit and in truth. And as we have heard of some of these countries, and again of uh, the first country that we read the letter from, 
Lord, I am encouraged in what you have done in our lives. Yes, we still sin. Yes, we still have to make amends. Yes, we still have to seek forgiveness when we have wronged you or wronged others. But I am thankful that he who began a good work in us will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So I ask, Lord, that as we look into the future, a day when the Lord Jesus Christ himself will descend with a shout with the voice of the archangel, we long for that day as, the, as John would write later in Revelation 22. And he says, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. So we ask, Father, through all the trials, the troubles, the cares, the concerns, all of the things that sometimes we get overly concerned with, instead of looking to you, we focus inwardly. So Lord, help us today to focus upwardly instead, to look to the Lamb of God, who was slain from before the foundation of the world, as we read in the book of Ephesians. Thank you again for each person who is here today, and even in the meeting to follow with the business meeting, I ask, Lord, that you would help us to conduct your business wisely and to be able to do so uh, with, with great care, knowing that you have called us to be good stewards, each one of us, of what you have blessed this ministry with. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Over the last two weeks, we have seen five trumpet judgments. The fifth judgment was also called a woe. This was found in chapter 9, also verses 1 through 12. And the word here means a calamity. It means that these last three are much more severe in nature than the first four are. The sheer horror, as we said last week, of this fifth trumpet is is inestimable. This fifth trumpet literally brings hell to earth. The release of these demon locust-like creatures that have been locked up in the pits of hell for just about all of earth's history. Brother Al was speaking this morning in regards to, uh, in regards to uh, creation and what happened with angels and, and the potential of what those things mean in some of those phrases. And honestly, as he rightly said, there are some things that are known only to God. It's in the column of we don't know. But one of the things that we find in the book of Jude is that there are a group of these demons who have been locked up as well as in 2 Peter. And we find that these creatures, these demons are there until the day of judgment. And I believe that that's what we are referring to here is this day of judgment that we find that is now transpiring in Revelation chapter 9. Think of the rage and the hatred against God and against his creation that will be released when these creatures are let loose from their dark world. And yet they will only be allowed to harm for five months. But the work of demonic forces is not yet complete. We, we mentioned a couple of the countries today, for example, in Nepal. There is a great spiritual oppression that takes place in many of those countries in Southeast Asia where where religions like Buddhism and Hinduism reign supreme. But I can tell you that based on the authority of God's word, which we have already looked at in Revelation chapter 5, there will be some from every tribe and tongue and people and nation who will be gathered singing the praises of God around his throne.
when Satan came before God in relation to Job, he was restricted in the amount of damage that he was permitted to do. And in the first woe that we saw last week, the locust demons from hell were granted the ability to bring excruciating pain to those who have not been sealed by God, but that they cannot kill. Again, we saw and recognized that the word that is used or the phrasing that is there is that these people wish themselves accursed from God or accursed to hell just to be able to escape the pain. Everything that mankind has known, all the comfort that we have, especially here in the Western world, I believe all of that will have been decimated. There will be people who will be on the brink of starvation. There will be, there will be people who, there will probably be vast parts of the world, cities, especially in this next section. But we learned in one of the previous trumpet judgments that we find that there are people who have been killed already. The sixth trumpet sounds and the second woe now begins. Many who cried and lusted after death to release them will now be granted their wish, but it will not bring the relief that they hoped for. The short pain of five months will pale into nothingness as they cross the great divide from these shadow lands of earth into the eternity of hell. Now unlike the explanation of the first five trumpets. This is so much lengthier, lengthier and it actually comprises three parts. Part one that we are dealing with this morning deals with the demonic army that will kill one third of the world's population. Chapter 10 is, is part two of the woe and it is a reminder of the glorious savior. And then the first 14 verses of chapter 11 cover the account of the two witnesses who were killed. Just as when the plagues assaulted Egypt, there was very little to no respite for the children or for the people of Egypt. Each plague inflicted greater damage until God chose to take away the life of the firstborn from every home in judgment. Yet the time for the mercy and the patience of God is now over. The sovereign over all of his creation now brings a judgment that is specifically designed for one thing. The sixth trumpet equals death. So we find in verses 13 to 15, we find firstly the command of God. Again, remember that God is still sovereign. He is in control of all things. There is nothing that takes place that he does not know about it. This does not catch God by surprise. In fact, we are now almost 2,000 years after the writing of the book of Revelation. This is still, a, I believe, a future event that will take place. We find the golden altar. And as we have said, the prayers of the saints go up before God. There are four horns, one at each corner of this altar. And, and this is simply a, a, a replica, as close as we can understand not me personally, but from an online source, this is as close as we can get, seeking to understand what this altar of incense actually was for or what it might have looked like. But it is somehow from the middle of these horns in the altar itself that a voice comes forth. And again, we see the prayers of the saints who are calling out for justice and a conclusion to all that has destroyed the earth. 
I shared in our beginning prayer in the Sunday school lesson this morning or before we dismiss for our classes. I don't know if any of you read the news this last week in regards to uh, the family in North Korea. And, and apparently there, is a, 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 there was a little child who came across a page or a small portion of the scriptures in the North Korean language and his enti- their entire family, including the two-year-old boy, has now been put in the gulag for life imprisonment because they owned or because this little boy was holding a portion of the Bible. And you think you have it bad. I think I have it bad. But one day, the justice of God will reign supreme and those who have persecuted his children will pay the price. This next section is a little hard to understand. I know I have read multiple commentaries down through the last several months, probably since the beginning of this year, just trying to prepare for this section, chapters 9 through 12 or chapters 8 through 12. And I believe that while we could probably disagree, as Brother Al said this morning, we can disagree on some of the points of Scripture and how we come to these conclusions, I believe that I am going to try to be as close to what I see in Scripture as possible in this passage. John speaks of four angels that are bound at the Euphrates. Read again with me in verse 15. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, uh, let's back up uh, to verse 14, released the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. It's interesting because John had probably never read or never seen the Euphrates in person. When John was a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, their ministry centered around Galilee and Judea and of course a little bit into Samaria, which is where we get the account of the woman at the well. We are told that afterwards that John was in the church of Jerusalem and then later tradition tells us and we find out from Revelation chapter 1 he was actually on the Isle of Patmos which is actually in the Mediterranean Sea, off of the coast of what is now modern-day Turkey. So it is quite probably, probable he had never seen the Euphrates River, and yet his readers would have known back in those days that this was actually the seat of the Babylonian Empire. They would have also known that it was the far eastern border of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire never went any further east than the Euphrates River. So what is this massive army that is being led by these four angels? And just as we saw last week, I believe that the the demonic locusts that are let out, I don't believe that these are creatures anything other than from the pits of hell. I don't believe John is, is trying in his limited, as some people say, in his limited first century vocabulary to try to explain mighty weapons of war like the Apache 64 helicopter or the M1 Abrams tank. I don't believe that he is doing that here. It is said that these horsemen that are there, these four angels, they are there for one specific purpose. Now some people read this to say that their destruction will actually last for one hour, for one day, for one month, and for one year. I don't believe that is the reading here. I believe that this total destruction that comes whereby one-third of the earth's population is destroyed will take place for one hour on a specific day 
in a specific month and in a specific year. In other words, God has ordained the time of the judgment. We find a pattern throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament. We find that when God is going to, is going to bring judgment, we find, for example, in the book of Genesis, and God says, my spirit will not always strive for man with man, and man's years will only be 120 years. I was speaking with this with Brother Al. This is not a reference to the age that man can achieve. This 120 years is a period of time in which Noah, a creature of righteousness, is actually, sorry, I'm stealing some of your thunder for next Sunday, but... This is a period of time in which God had sovereignly ordained and he said, this is when the judgment will take place. Repent. Now it's no different than than what I present to each of you every single Sunday as we proclaim the good news and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know when this day is going to take place, but I do know that it is coming. I do know that God fulfills all of his promises. He will fulfill all of his promises in the future as well. Woe to the earth, which is why John writes this of this sixth trumpet. This is the second woe. And I want to try to put this in a little bit of perspective. We were talking about the population of the earth and the numbers of people that are are here on earth. Of course, we have what is... Typically, a very low, what did you call it, an annual um, percentage of growth rate. And I believe the UN states that by the year 2058, I think there's supposed to be 10 billion people on earth. Something like that. 10 billion. That's another 2 billion more people who are going to be born over the next roughly 30 years. A little less than, maybe a little more than 30 years. Math wasn't my strong suit in school. But here's what's going to happen. I believe what this trumpet portrays is this. At the sound of the sixth trumpet, four angels are released to kill one-third of mankind. These four horsemen of the apocalypse, they've already killed one-fourth of the world's population, leaving approximately three-quarters of the world's population. So let's say that it is 10 billion. We now have 2.5 billion people who have been killed by the judgment of God. We now find another third of the remainder of those, which is now one-fourth of the original. The horsemen and the angels now kill one-half of all humans across these two verses. In 2023 terms and numbers, that is about 4 billion people who will be dead. In other words, half the world's population will be dead from chapter 7 through chapter 9. Are you concerned? We should be. Not because we are going to endure the wrath of God. But we should be concerned, I believe, just like Noah was, because one day the door of the ark will be closed. There will come a time when there will be no more witnessing. There will be no more sharing of the gospel with your family, with your friends, with your colleagues, with your next-door neighbors. Half of the world's population... There won't be anybody available to be able to bury this number of people. 
The world will not be able to contain this. The, the, the stench, the degradation, the, the, the complete total destruction. We've already seen the ecology of the earth has been completely destroyed within the first four. And now we find the bodies that are just stacking up all over. Why? Not because they were rich, not because they were poor, but because they rejected Christ. That's the only standard. The only thing that separates you and I this morning from an eternity in hell or an eternity in heaven is because Jesus Christ has set His love upon us and we have confessed and repented of our sins. You say, well, the world doesn't want to hear. You're right. But there was a time, my friend, that you and I didn't want to hear either. There was a time the Lord Jesus Christ had to come in, in, in mercy and His Holy Spirit had to convict us of our sin and help us to realize that we needed a Savior and that we couldn't get there on our own. But who or what actually is this second point, the army of God? We find this army in verses 16 through 19. This number here, it may actually be written in your translation, but it's actually 200 million people. Now, is this a literal army of men who are used by God? I believe that in context, and given that this fits within the space of an hour as we find the demonic locust-type creatures who are found in the first part of Revelation chapter 9, I believe that these are also, this is the remainder of those who have been kept in total darkness until this time. I don't see this as an actual army of men. I believe that it is safe to understand and to be able to see that this massive army is demonic and, and again being allowed out by God to destroy and roam the entire world to bring death to a third, another third of the population in the space of one hour I believe can only be accomplished by demonic forces. Those who are riding on these horses, this, this, the breastplates here that we find, they are the color of fire, of sapphire and of sulfur. Now some would speculate what the red and the yellow and the blue actually represents, but I believe that John here is simply referencing in what, what language he possibly has. He must have been completely dumbstruck at the horror and the demonic destruction that just couldn't be explained, not even in today's terms. This army of God comes, they have heads like lion's heads, like lion's heads. Again, fire smoke, and, fire, smoke, and sulfur comes from their mouths. And again, we are told down here in verse uh, 18, by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. I believe that the power that we find in there, that is in their mouths and in their tails, they also bring harm to those who remain as if the sting of the locust, demon locust, was not enough. It really is hard to fathom the destruction. It really is hard to imagine the number of peoples that must have died or that will be dead. There are times in reading these passages it is just overwhelming to me to think that there are that many people and yet they are all being destroyed because they do not love God. 
I want to focus the last part of our message this morning on the enemies of God. Let's read again verse 20 and 21. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Listen to me, when, when the children of Israel finally get into the land of promise that God has given them, do you remember what happened time and time and time again? What did they do? They ran after the false prophets. They ran after the gods they couldn't hear. One of the Philistine gods was half body of man, half, half fish. Dagon. And yet God over and over, he comes back in his mercy and his grace and he comes back to his children, these who have been, these who have been set apart by him out of all of the tribes and he sends prophets and he sends judges and he brings them to repentance and they turn around and sometimes within less than an entire, less than a generation, they're right back to where they were again. But before we cast complete blame on them or we seek to throw all of the Israelites underneath the bus. I want us to seriously consider what I believe John is saying here in these two verses. The non-repentance of anti-God, Christian-hating generations is evident in our world today. But John is clear. He says, the rest of those who are left, so now we have... From just two chapters previously, we now have less or about half of the world's population who are now left still alive. But he says, the rest of mankind who were not killed, what does it say? They did not repent. They still persisted in those sins for which God was so severely punishing them. Now the word repent here is the Greek word metanoeo. And it simply means to have a conduct that is worthy of a changed heart in which you abhor sin. To abhor means to dis or to regard with disgust and hatred. I know that down through the years of ministry, I, I have shared and people have asked, well, well, how do you know if you're saved? How, how can we have assurance of salvation? It's very simple. Ask yourself what you love more today. Do you love God more or do you love your sin more? Do you love God more or do you love your sin more? How much do you love his people? How much do you love his word? Read the book of 1 John sometime and go through the test of, of assurance of salvation that are found there and ask yourself what you truly love. Why would we not want to love God's people if Christ died for his people? We're going to share all of eternity together, Brother Diego, with every true believer. It behooves us to get along here. It behooves us to set aside any concerns or anything that, is, that, is, that would keep us from fellowship firstly with God and, and then with His people. 
ask yourself this question. Have you had a changed heart? I remember when I came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I can remember, as I've shared with you, many of you have heard my testimony, and I can remember I didn't have a disgust and hatred for my sin. I was quite happy living the way that I was after all. I didn't think my sin was gross enough for Jesus to have to die on the cross for my sin because my sin wasn't that bad. But when we come to the point where Christ, through his Holy Spirit, brings a change of heart, we go from facing the world, we go from loving the world, and we turn and we face the cross and we march steadfastly, resolutely in that direction. That doesn't mean that you're not going to sin. Because we all sin. We all sin every day sometimes. But what it means is that we love Christ so much more that when the Holy Spirit convicts us of that sin or He reveals whatever that is in our life, we turn back to Him and we say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I confess and I admit to You that what You believe about me is true. Somebody asked me about the Lord's table. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says that we cannot partake in an unworthy manner. I would like to remind you again that if we were only partaken, if it was only those who were truly worthy to partake, nobody would partake. We partake because Jesus Christ alone is worthy. He was the one that made the sacrifice. He was the one that made it possible. He is the one that forgives. He is the one that keeps. He is the one that preserves. Have you had a changed heart? Do you abhor your sin? Listen to what John speaks of here. He speaks of six different things in this passage. And he says, firstly, those who are working with their hands. The word here means to be accomplished by hand, by art, by industry, or by mind. In other words, the first judgment or the first part of this judgment is against everybody who thinks that they are self-made individuals without giving God glory for what they have made or created or that they have earned. Now we look at James, the pattern is, is clear from the beginning. God did this, God created And it is all of these things that take place. God even tells us that promotion comes neither from the east nor from the west, but from the Lord. If you have a job today, have you given thanks to God for that job? If you came by car or horse or scooter or motorcycle, dog sled, whatever you came by this morning, did you give thanks to God for those things that he has given you? If you have a bank account, you're richer than 90% of the world's population. If you have more than one suit of clothes or one more than one change of clothes, you're actually richer than 67% of the world's population. But these people who are not repenting, they are not repenting because they don't want to give God the benefit or the honor and the glory for what He has given them. The question we have to ask ourselves of these individuals, can you guarantee, can you guarantee that you'll fill up your barns tomorrow? No. The Bible says to that man, you fool, do you not realize that your life will be required of you tonight? 
idolatry. Now it's easy for us here uh, to say, well, this, this is something that is found in the rest of the world. Yes, there are places you can go like in Southeast Asia to Thailand or to Vietnam or to Laos and there are people who are spinning their prayer wheels or they are bowing down the knee and they are praying to this reclining Buddha, gold Buddha on a raised platform or a raised bed. The problem is that we forget even here in America Everything that sets itself up against the Most High God has become its own little God. Thirdly, murders. I believe John is referencing as he does, he uses the same word here throughout the first part of Revelation. I believe that he is speaking about what has been done to the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, yes, we are. We talked, for example, we were called upon to pray for um, our, our leaders and those not just on a local level, but across the world. I believe that we are called to pray for those who are in authority. And when we pray for those in authority, I have to ask this question. I have to remind myself constantly. Uh, for example, you don't have to raise your hand, but has anybody remembered this last week to pray for Vladimir Putin? Has anybody prayed for... Kim Jong-il? You see, if we believe that God is the redeemer of souls, do we believe that it is beyond God to be able to save the souls of these individuals? Can God not get the gospel message into these hardened, closed countries and be able to bring honor and glory to himself by seeing people like that come to faith in him? Can you imagine what it would be like if every Christian were to get on their faces before God and pray for revival and pray specifically for some of these rulers only to hear that the Lord Jesus Christ has brought salvation and it completely changes a nation. Sorceries, fourthly. The word is the one from which we get the word pharmacy and it literally means to poison or to administer or to use drugs. Basically anything that is connected with charms or magic arts, exorcism or witchcraft. This part of the judgment is against anything that seeks to take away the power that only belongs to God. Some have asked me in the past, well, do you believe in divine healing? Yes, I do, but I don't believe in any divine healer apart from Jesus Christ. I don't have the power to come and lay hands on you, nor does any person have the power to lay hands on you and bring healing. Only Jesus Christ can do that. Fifthly, sexual immorality. The word here references both spiritual and carnal immorality. The word is actually where we get pornography from and it means any type of illicit sexual intercourse that is not between a married couple. Now, this can be used to refer to homosexuality, bestiality, lesbianism, adultery, or fornication. Basically, the word here that John is using is saying that anything that is not between a married man and woman is an affront to God. We're in the middle of Pride Month. The last time the world had pride in something so degrading, something so vulgar as homosexuality and lesbianism, it resulted in a worldwide flood. Now, I don't believe that I can tell you where to shop or where not to shop. I believe that that is between you and the Holy Spirit of God. 
But I can tell you that the things in this world are going to continue to get worse. The things that they are trying to do. In fact, there was somebody here posted, I can't remember, maybe it was Brother Mike that posted this. But there is a church right now in, uh, uh, in, in San Francisco. Next Sunday is Father's Day. And there is a church in San Francisco, a Presbyterian church, no less. And the pastor dresses up like a drag queen and shows up to be able to pronounce blessings on his people. What is wrong with this world? We can't pretend like this stuff is not happening. It is happening. And God will bring judgment. Finally, we find thefts. This is an interesting word because the word is not what you and I think about where somebody goes and steals an apple from an apple tree. The word here is considering those who have gained wealth by impoverishing others. In other words, the financial empires of the rich will be destroyed because they did not have care for others who were in need. Brother Diego, not too many months ago, talked about how we as a church, we should be responsible for one another as a, as a family of believers. How do we do that? How do we help one another in times of need? You see, when Christ comes into our life, He gives us a love for one another so that we will go out of our way, including if it means reducing what we have in order to be able to see somebody else be blessed by God. We talked about this in the men's meeting yesterday and our lesson was on giving. That was lesson 10 in uh, the, the book series, the discipleship series that we're going through. Let me share this with you. God can take whatever percentage you have left after you have given to him in some way and he can make that stretch a lot farther than you can. We're going to conclude this morning by doing something different with the hymns. This hymn is entitled, What Wondrous Love Is This? And as you ponder the words of this beautiful hymn, I want you to consider David's word from the Psalms, Selah. Meditate on this. Meditate on what you have heard today. We, we, could have, we could have stretched this message out over several messages, but I don't believe that it would have done any more than what we have done today in presenting clearly the Word of God. In warning of the judgment to come, there, there, may be, there may be one or two here or more this morning, and you don't know the Savior even yet today. You sit there and you listen to the words from Revelation chapter 9, and yet the Scripture also says, Whosoever will may come. Come and drink of the water of life freely. I want you to think about the calamity, the woe, the judgment that will be coming. But then I want you to think through the words of this hymn. I want you to think about what God did through His Son, Jesus Christ, and I want you to rejoice. I want you to rejoice in knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt this morning, truly, what wondrous love is this. Amen.
Let's bow together. Father, as we listen to the words of this hymn, I pray that you will help every true believer to remember what he or she has been saved from and what we have been saved for. Where we are going when we die, the assurance of salvation that is provided to us by the Holy Spirit who dwells in the life of every true believer. We cannot get rid of him. He has saved us for eternity. This down payment that has been given is just a partial inheritance. Oh, what a wonderful day that will be. On our Jesus we shall see. When we look upon his face, the one who saved us by his grace, when he takes us by the hand and leads us through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. Help us to search our hearts this morning and see whether we are focused on other things or whether we are focused on Jesus Christ. We ask this again because Jesus Christ alone is worthy of our praise. And all God's people said, Amen. Wow.